As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Panther Puri, the podcast where we're supposed to talk Panthers hockey, but sometimes we don't. Here are your hosts, Alex Lopez, Jake Langsam, and TJ Peterson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Panther Puri. I'm your host, Jacob Langsam, and here with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Alex Lopez and TJ Peterson. And uh, I like that I, I, when I intro the pod, I say, here with me, as always, uh, are the two of you because lately I have been the one to not be here due to a considerable amount of scheduling conflicts and trips and travel. And as a result of all of that, I have not yet gotten the opportunity to opine on the game four loss and the lightning series as a whole uh, on the pod yet. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm sure you are well aware of my feelings, but I have not yet made them known on the podcast. Uh, so that's what that's what I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna start with. So I I might be monologuing for a little bit here to make up for lost time. We'll say I am obviously very unhappy with the way that that series went. I think that's probably the tamest way I can possibly say it. Andre Vasilevsky is infuriating. It's so clear that he's beatable unless you're the Florida Panthers and you're playing him in the playoffs then he becomes entirely unbeatable. The highest scoring team in 25, 30 years scored three goals in four games and route to a second round sweep. I'm very proud of this team for getting to the second round. I feel like with how they played in round one, uh, it was kind of predictable that they wouldn't make it past Tampa. Uh, yeah. And that's very upsetting to to realize. And I'm glad that I've had a week or so, or I guess two weeks at this point, to really, really rationalize that in my head. Yeah, yeah, I, that's better things to come. That's all I can really say. Yeah, here's hoping. Uh, you, you, you touched on something that I do want to say real quick. When we broke down the Washington series for the last time, unless like we talked about it in, in some depth during the lightning series, I don't think we really did with Roy. I can't really remember, but you know, looking back at it now, it's obvious that that was a worrying overall performance. Like we're talking about, you know, a, a Washington team that was pretty middling throughout the year and, you know, the, the game six win, even, they got outchanced uh, at a significant degree at five on five. They gave up 14 high danger chances in less than 50 minutes. They only had eight in that game. The expected goals were 57% in uh, Washington's favor. Overall in the series, five on five expected goals, the differential wasn't even one. And the Panthers were plus eight at five on five. Now, there was some bad luck going on on special teams, I felt like. The power play obviously wasn't good, but it wasn't bad enough that they should have only scored once on whatever it was, 30 tries. It was, it was not that bad. And I feel like Washington's power play probably wasn't as good as it ended up converting at, but you know, that, that wasn't nearly as big an outlier in my opinion. 
But yeah, just like looking at that series and then looking at the Tampa series overall, I'm going to stick by what I said, which is what I feel like aside from the goalie, Washington showed who Florida is more than Tampa did. I felt like they didn't really look as bad against Tampa as they did against Washington. And it's just that, you know, I felt like Sam Sonoff played well, but then game five and game six, he, he kind of cracked. Yeah. And for those of you who are listening in and wondering why we aren't talking about all the current events, you know, there's a lot of coaching staff news and some signings. We're going to get into all that. David Dork's going to be joining us. Uh, and we're going to either, you know, we're going to put that on the back end of this podcast. So we are going to get to all that, but, you know, Jacob wanted to opine and get his thoughts on the end of that series. And, you know, I wanted to get some takes in as well now that I'm not angry about it. I mean, if you listen to that podcast, you knew we were pretty hot fired up, especially me. We actually had to edit that down because, you know, <clears throat> it was just a little bit over the top. I would love to hear the raw from that DJ <laughs> if you still have it. Probably. <laughs> but I, I'm still extremely disappointed. I thought that was there was no way this series should have this season should have ended in a second round sweep, regardless of how well Tampa has been playing. And TJ has been well documented saying it. They're playing boring hockey to get to where they are, and you're not wrong at all. But the they Panthers are playing to win, though. Right. They're playing winning hockey and they don't ask how pretty it was. They just ask if you got there. The Florida Panthers in 96, they're the most beloved team in franchise history up until maybe this year. That team played boring, ugly hockey. And, you know, they made it to the Stanley Cup. So Tampa's doing what it takes to make it to the Stanley Cup. And they've got a shot to three-peat. And they didn't have their number one center for the last two rounds. We, we may not want to segue quite into this yet, but I feel like the Lightning actually played a pretty entertaining style of hockey in game six of the Eastern Conference Final. Because they they were having a lot of success attacking the Rangers on the rush. And, I mean, we're, we're talking about a, a Rangers team that was really beaten down on their last legs. You know, so many guys out there, like, playing very injured, even more than, you know, everybody's heard this time of year. But, like, Ryan Strom just couldn't actually play through his injuries. It was remarkable he was out there. You know, we'll Wasn't Strom benched for game six? No, it was Capo 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 Right, was benched right. for Game Six. Are we going to wait to talk about the Dryden Rangers? Hunt? Yeah, yeah we going to wait to talk about this or what? Let, let's we'll get into it in a second. Okay, yeah, I, I do want to finish my my takes. All right, As real I'm, quick on the Lightning though, like that was something that they were able to do in that series, but you know, to an extent, they did it against the Panthers, but it, like it wasn't nearly as much as in their game plan as it was for the Capitals and the. The Lightning did not have 14 high danger chances at five on five in any of the four games. I think the most they had was 11 or 10. The Lightning knew they could not play high event hockey against the Panthers. As poorly as the Panthers were playing, they could not play high event hockey. Uh, I mean, the power play, we, you, you, you already touched on it. I, Bruno needed to make changes sooner. But the more I'm thinking about it now that we're a few weeks away from it, I'm feeling honestly, maybe this is just me trying to be a sunshine pumping homer, but it, this honestly feels like Tampa versus Columbus, where it's like a sweep that you like, we can explain it because we know what happened, but we know it shouldn't have happened. And then we know it's not the indicator of what this team really is. This is a much better team than what they showed. It's very, it's bad that they showed it. There's players that need to, you know, have a hard look inside based on their performance. But this team is still good enough to win a Stanley Cup, even with the changes that we know that are coming. 
All right. Go, I, I got two It's unfortunate rolls. that the worst 10 game streak of the season came when it did. Yeah. I don't and, necessarily feel like it's, it's tough because like, I'm, I'm so disappointed in what happened in the Washington series. Like they should have played so much better. They won. So I wasn't going to you you know, steamroll Washington. I wasn't going to stab them in the back for it, but like, you know, Washington was right there with them. That's a mediocre team. Like in, in terms of the playoff teams, it's a bottom five playoff team. You sh- if you're a real cup contender, you should be out of there in five, or at least like if it's a six game series, it should be because the goalie stole games. And that did not really happen. Uh, Samsonov was good, but he did not steal any game of that series. The wa- the Capitals were good value for their wins in, in game one and game three. Uh, game four might have been a little bit of a stealing, but you know, Panthers ended up winning that one. So obviously it wasn't. You also didn't have bad Bob costing you games. Like they got stuck against the Washington Capitals and swept by Tampa because their high-powered forward group just completely fell off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And one one thing I wanted to mention about that, it's like, are we going to give Jay Woodcroft credit for like McDavid and Dreisaitl doing what they did against the Flames? So, you know, have a really defensive style, defensive coach. We're a really stingy team defensively all year. No, you shouldn't be. Are, are we going to be giving Gerard Gallant credit because Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad were scoring on the power play like they have you their whole career? You fucking better not. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. Gerard Gallant being a finalist for the Jack Adams is an embarrassment. Well, look. I mean, he rode I'll, uh, Igor Shesterkin to that nomination. Yeah, and I, I think that people are talking about, oh, you know, he's he's got a real good handle on what's going on there. You know, he's made every right adjustment. Good for him. We could have said play Igor Shesterkin for 60 games, and it would have been the same result. Yeah. And then I, would we – could I be a Jack Adams finalist just by saying, hey, Igor should play? I mean, and, like, the Kako thing, it's funny because the fact of the matter is, like, they have such the, an amazing young core and yeah. like, they haven't even really properly developed a lot of those guys, but it's still like the, the war chest is so brim full of stuff that like they can't all fail. So like Condre Miller had an amazing season. Braden Schneider was like really useful on an entry level contract. Philip Hedo was huge in the playoffs. Like they, they just had these guys that like some of them were going to be good. And it was their time to break out. Like, I don't, I don't really think it, it was down to Gerard Gallant. Uh, I, I forget where we were going with this, unless we just want to go ahead and segue into the, talking about the Rangers. But I feel like we've tipped well, our hand to, with that a little bit. One last thing on the Panthers, just because it ties into what you just said. Like, the Rangers, to get where they needed to be, had a bunch of guys stepping up. And you look at the Panthers throughout the entire playoffs – it's essentially Carter Verhage. Yeah. And Claude Giroux in the last two games of the Washington series, Claude Giroux was great. Yeah. But I'm, I'm talking about players who elevated their games because it's the playoffs. Claude Giroux played like Claude Giroux. I'm saying like you had Carter, Carter Verhage. Verhage also played like Claude Giroux. No. And that's <laughs> the point. <laughs> but like Carter Verhage is a very good player. He played like a star in like, and I would say six or seven of the 10 games, like an actual legit point-per-game NHL superstar. Yeah. No and one we else have him for three more years at a reasonable yeah. price. But, like, you didn't get that from Barkov. Oh, you, are you saying four years or four million? Four more years. Four more I years. I thought it was three this. more years. I thought remember we got him on a three-year deal. No, four by four. Oh, sick. Um, but like, There's no way. Okay, hold on. That actually might benefit the Panthers significantly this offseason because how does Mason Marchment say he deserves as much as Carter Verhage? 
he doesn't. He but can't. Some, but he, someone's going to give it to him on the open market, and he would be a fool to not test the open market. Ooh, unless he's dedicated to the Panthers. Uh, Which, like, he shouldn't be. I agree. Let's, ask, let's ask David about this. Yeah, Carter Verhage's performance should help in our negotiations with Marchman, is my point. Right. But, like, again, Barkov, where was he? Huberto, where was he? Uh, Sam Bennett, where was he? Barkov was nearly a point a game. It's not like he disappeared. Yeah. Okay, but but in he was just very. He it was a quiet. It was a quiet point per game. But he was he was scoring. This is the playoffs. Like we were just we just mentioned like briefly like McDavid and and Dreisaitl. Hey, fuck all of you! It's three more years. I was right. Verhage signed for the next three years. Oh, it's three by four. Jacob is right. All right. Okay. As always. Either way, look at what McDavid and Drysaddle were able to do. They drug that awful team, and then I guess Evander Kane had a... Drysaddle was, like, dead. Right. And, then like, I kept saying, like, oh, Barkov's got to be hurt. And then, like, we didn't get the the murderer's row injury report from the Panthers. Like, there wasn't guys playing with, like, torn labrums and dislocated shoulders. Like, nothing. They just crumbled. And Hagee was a game time decision for that game six, but he was just sick. You know, and I'm sure that impaired impaired him in some way, but like it wasn't like Drysaddle who like had one leg and was still two points per game. And you know, I, I think Mason Marchman had a pretty significant injury. Like this is about the point where yeah. Mason Marchman would probably be coming back. I feel like, and that, that you know that was a big loss. They clearly could have used him in that series. He was a guy that could have scored a. A greasy goal. I know how much people hate talking about that, but I mean, that was what they needed to be competitive in the series. They needed him, but you cannot use that as an excuse when the team you got swept by was missing their number one center. Oh, totally. Totally. Like, that's why I I don't give the Panthers any excuses or any passes. I'm just saying, like, you know, the, the more I look at it, the more I'm like, hey, just like everything went wrong, but the way the team is made is still good. The guys who are going to be coming back, like this is like, even if we assume they lose Marchman and Giroux, this is still going to be a top three team in the East next year. Mm-hmm. Is, is it hindsight bias though, for me to say, this is the reason why you don't trade two first round picks for two rentals at the same deadline because. Uh, no, I, okay. I'm going to disagree with you on one important front. If you make those moves for the right players, it's not a bad move. Giroux was still a good move. Had we gotten a good defenseman with the other first round pick, that also still would have been a good move in hindsight. Yeah. I, I also was that it like, was for I, ben Chirot, I, I don't want to hear at the time we Sorry. said it was a bad idea. I, so I, that's not hindsight either. No, it's <laughs> we not knew like it was, was ne- it was never a good idea. We were honestly like trying to move past, like having to have a referendum on it. Cause we just assumed like people would understand. We thought it was bad. Like he was, he was not good in the he playoffs. Awful. He did not, he did not play at a top four level. There were some games where we were like pleasantly surprised just because our expectations were on the floor, but like people, you know, again, I, I, I loathe to punch down because there's nobody seriously close to having their finger on the trigger that thinks this, but it's just ridiculous to say that Ben Shirai outplayed Mackenzie Weger in the playoffs, warts and all. He did not. No. Ben Shirai's best plays were better than Mackenzie Weger's worst plays, but like... That doesn't mean a lot. Duh. <laughs> yeah, it's like, look, we're, you know, 
we all know Mackenzie Weger struggled in these playoffs, but like the people with the the takes of trade Weger to keep Sherratt, like just shut the fuck up. Oh my God, is that a thing? Also, yes, just like why why would you trade Weger if you're trying to win the Stanley Cup? Like that just doesn't make sense. I, I I'll entertain like you know this is why it's a bad idea to give him a big extension. Like sure, yeah. But if you want to oh, win the Stanley, I Cup, will go to bat for Mackenzie Weger. Every day of the week, but if you think that I'm in favor of giving him a big extension at 30 years old, you're out of your mind. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, I I, I think the way we saw his body break down the last two years in the playoffs, it's the sign of you don't extend this guy for part of what makes Uyghur so useful is that he's inexpensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. We're we're not talking about like a $10 million Bob right thing. I love Mackenzie Weger. I do think he's a top 30 defenseman in the NHL, but he when is, he's he up is. when he's up for a new contract, the Panthers probably shouldn't be the one to give it to him. Yeah. Unless he stays on like a four by six or something. Just, Which no shot. I don't think he, so. someone's giving him seven by seven. Unless and he, he just deserves just, it. Yeah, he does. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, like disappointed in the way he played in the playoffs. He was not alone in, in, in terms of underwhelming. I mean, frankly, the list of guys that didn't underwhelm is much shorter. And as you mentioned, it's Carter Verhage. <laughs> three people. I would put Claude Giroux on there. I'm tempted to put. I'm tempted to put Forsling, but I mean, the thing is, he was so bad in Tampa. If he wasn't that bad, they probably could have won either of those games. I, have I talked about on the pod how I don't know if this is confirmation bias on my part or not? But Gustav Forsling seems like he's very not good in his own end with the puck on his stick. Yeah, if he's getting forechecked, I I think so. Yeah, it it, it could very easily be confirmation bias. But from my view, he turns the puck over in his own end a lot. And I'm I'm a big Gus Forsling fan also. Jay Fresh should have those numbers. Like he's, you know, he's got those micro stats. Yeah. Uh, the one other thing I do want to say, just to go off of what TJ was saying about the list of guys who didn't underwhelm, I do want to make sure that we give kudos to Bob. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Bob didn't as, underwhelm. As we're about to spend a few minutes with David talking if the Panthers are going to trade Bob this summer. But, you know, that's more of a contract thing, not his performance this year. Like, yeah. Bob had his his down moments this year, but overall he was very good and he was excellent he was a, in the play. He was, he was great yeah, relative was just... to his Panthers performance. Oh, yeah. No, I relative mean... to any performance. like. Vasilevsky went God mode, but like, was he name one game where you were like, yeah, Bob cost us or Bob made this game right. harder. He the, didn't the feel that way about a single game. All, all postseason. The two disallowed goals in game four were both soft. Uh, no, both of them were. Def- well, one of them was a deflection. One of them was a shot, a perfectly placed shot right off the face off. Those actually are really hard to stop because was the first one deflected. I don't think it was. Absolutely. Yeah. Whatever. This is not, that's not important. Yeah. Go ahead. But like those face-off shots, they're actually really difficult because 95% of the time, the person receiving the puck is getting like a perfect, like a flat puck right off the stick and just ripping it. And you're set for the face-off and like you're stagnant at the face-off. You're not in motion. So you have no momentum to get over to where the puck went and, and be square for a shot. So it's actually not the easiest save to make. That's why you like you do whatever you can to not let clean shots right off the face off happen mm-hmm. but uh, neither any, anything else on bob because before before david gets here and we'll just talk about this until he gets here i think uh the the rangers post-mortem i do want to give is uh r.i.p bozo to gerard Gallant, <laughs> and like again like 
he he's a guy that everybody you talk to will be like, yeah, he, he doesn't know shit about the X's and O's. He doesn't know tactics. Like, you know, maybe there are stuff here and there. He's a locker room coach. He doesn't know what is a locker room coach. Like, do you two buy the idea that he had this game plan that he worked on that worked against the lightning in in games one and two that Brunette just didn't have the savviness to implement? Fuck no. He had a goalie playing like a god and he got timely offense. Vassy was also, and Vassy was also on, he was cooling off because he had a, week and a half of rest from yeah from he the was terrible in that first game he was awful in the first two games look here's all i'm going to say about gerard Gallant. he got fired by the panthers for being obsessed with his depth fourth liners he got fired by the vegas golden knights for being obsessed with his for his depth fourth liners and what did he do in game six in a do or die game he scratched Cabo he put Cabo in dryden hunt for dryden hunt <laughs> yeah ryan reeves and dryden hunt in the lineup, your, your Reeves, I can understand. Was absolutely desperate for offense. They only scored one goal in the previous game. They'd only scored one five-on-five goal in the previous three games, and you put in a guy that didn't score in his first like eighty NHL games. Like brilliant! It's it's absolutely brilliant. And I mean, look, if if it works for them to have a guy that's purely vibes. You know th- that the uh, is like the bus meme. No hockey, the just vibes. <laughs> analytics person that's like looking at the mountain all sad, and then the other person's like that boy, nice watcher, looking at the sun and smiling. Like yeah. that's that's the kind of coach that Gerard Gallant is, and you know a lot of the time it will work. You know, and who am I to say something that will work is a, is a bad thing? But like is this Logan has a Shaw shelf life because vibes only go no. so far. Logan Shaw is not still in the NHL. Would no. Gerard Gallant still be using Logan yes, Shaw if possible? Yes, well, he, he has would. Ryan Reeves. He has deluxe Logan Shaw, uh, so he doesn't need him. Alex, Logan Shaw did play 17 games for Ottawa this season. Does that really count? Yeah. It goes I down. guess, yeah, no, you're right. He's not in the NHL. But... <laughs> if Gerard Gallant was savvy enough to just be a mouthpiece for people who are smarter than him when it came to tactics, he would be a Hall of Fame coach because players will run through a wall for him. Yeah. I mean, the one thing you can say about all three of his stops is that everybody loves playing for him. The problem is he thinks we should still be playing 1990 hockey, 1993 hockey, where you have to grind your opponents into dust. And he's literally sitting Ferraris for freaking pickup trucks that suck. I wouldn't call Capocac. And by the way, how, how well did that work? Because yeah, they you got no dominated. You got, you got your, your butt kicked. Like those last four games, the Rangers were not in any of those games. I know people will say game five, it came down to the wire. Game six, Igor was just standing on his head. And really, that's all I all I think that kept them in those games. Like the first two games, the Lightning were rusty. And then the last four, they stunk. They stunk. That was not close. And that was the first time the Lightning have actually looked dominant in this playoffs. And I know people will say, what about the Panthers? They swept them. They never really looked dominant doing it. Yeah, I guess nah. it's hard to say you look dominant when you look at it at a macro level from a sweep, but like individual game by game. Yeah, I mean, you're, but look, right. like this game is not four at all, of that series was the best the Panthers looked all playoffs. This frankly. is not at all what I think actually happened, but like, let's say you flip a coin four times, it's head all four times. Are you going to be like, heads is dominant? 
Uh, isn't that. there actually something with quarters that like the head side is actually weighted a little bit more heavily? I think it's pennies and it's the tail side. Or okay. no, it's pennies. Fuck and you. Side. <laughs> All right. So put a bow on the Rangers conversation. Final thoughts on that before we go. Go abs, go. Dork. Yeah, I, that's I, my I, final I, thoughts. Uh, I think the Avs are the better team, but Vasilevsky is Vasilevsky. He's and better than Kemper. Yeah. Vasilevsky yeah. hasn't beaten the Avalanche since 2018. I'm still As calling we... Tampa on six because they just have that black magic voodoo. They get I'm the calling, officiating. I'm calling Colorado and get seven. the bounces. They got it. Uh, I'm going to say Colorado and six, but as we bring in our uh, esteemed goalie guest, David Dwork. David, first of all, your thoughts on who will win the finals and in how many games? Uh, until I... It's proven otherwise. I'm not betting against Tampa. Uh, how many games? I mean, I'd love to see it go seven games. I'd love to see them just throw haymakers at each other. But uh, as we've seen from Tampa, they're kind of a wagon when they uh, when they flick their switch or when they get it going. So uh, I'm, as I'm sure your listeners aren't happy to hear it, I'm not really betting against Tampa. The value Sean, is, this is not interesting. There. We, we have a Colorado and six, a Colorado and seven, a Tampa and seven, and a Tampa and six. Shocking that the two goalies are going with the best goalie in the series to win. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. I didn't even notice that trend. Anyway, joining us now from WPLG Local 10, David Dwork. David, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> well, I'm a goalie, so I'm doing differently than you and TJ, obviously. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. He's in reverse VH right now. <laughs> Jacob, explain reverse VH. No, it's been way too long. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I only da- do that for Ian. <laughs> Sorry, David. <laughs> no, it's okay. David, I know there's a lot that's happened since the playoffs uh, ended for the Panthers. I want to ask you real quick, in your opinion, what went wrong for the Panthers against the Lightning? Oh, well, they didn't score goals. (laughs) You know what? That'll do it. (laughs) I mean, mean, really, they scored three goals in four games. And, you know, they, they played probably more periods well than they played poorly, to be honest. You know, Bad third periods in game one and game three really cost them. Uh, two and four were pretty evenly matched. Uh, five on five, once again, they were probably uh, outchancing Tampa with puck possession as well. Power play special teams uh, was a killer. Um, but, I mean, they scored three goals in four games. And you can you know, say as much as you want about Andre Vasilevsky. He is an amazing goalie. But when you're the highest scoring team that the league has seen since 1996 – uh, you got to figure out ways to put the puck in the net. So, you know, you can get all scientific about it, but for crying out loud, they scored three goals in four games. David, have you listened to the PDO cast uh, that he did after that series where he, uh, Dimitri was talking about like the insistence on them attacking as a five-man unit? Uh, and I meant to ask Alex and Jake about this earlier, but I forgot. Like, what I do we all think about no that theory? About you- Florida... Like refusing Dim- to Dimitri Filipovich on his on his podcast, the Hockey PDO cast, he attributed a lot of their offensive struggles to like a kind of rigorous idea of attacking as a five man unit rather than like uh, trying to do other things to score. No, I mean I did not hear the podcast. I, I'm, admittedly, I'm not a big podcast guy. Fair uh, enough. When I'm in the car, I'm I'm poorly singing to my '80s and '90s mix on my iPhone. I mean, it's an interesting thought. I, you know, there was obviously, you know, we saw it in the Washington series. It took them a little while to, to kind of break away from what they had done well all season. Um, it's, it's something to think about just because, uh, I mean, yeah, they attacked as a five-man unit, but that, that's basically because they just turned the puck and go. Uh, you know, this is a team that led the league in rush opportunities this season, and that's certainly not a five-man thing. Look, 
that's one of the things that Bruno said after the season that that's kind of stood out to me is just how uh, he wished that he had gone with his gut more and he'd wished that he had not let the outside noise trickle in and something like that. You wonder uh, in terms of like a coaching, something that could have been, could have been flicked on the coaching standpoint. Like, is that something that he was talking about? Is, obviously you think special teams when you think of anything that could have been different during the, uh, during the playoffs, but you know, you, you just wonder the way that it took him a little while to start dumping the puck and, and trying to get behind Washington's defense in the first round. Uh, was there some stubbornness on the coaching staff's part in the second round? It's an interesting question. And since you brought up Bruno, I want to ask you about that. What is the latest of Bruno? I mean, as his typical Panthers fashion under Zito, it's very, it's been very slow and methodical. We thought we'd know whether Bruno was coming back or not by now. And there's kind of nothing. I know there's been some changes to the assistants and we'll ask you about that in a second, but what's, what's the latest on coach Bruno? Is he going to get the, is he going to keep the job? Or are they going to look somewhere else? What's, what's the plan? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, as you, you probably know, uh, as well as I do that the, the Bill Zito regime, uh, has been one of really, uh, tight lipped and, uh, tough to get information out of. Uh, and it's been no different, uh, in terms of this, the, the coaching situation, I don't want to say coaching search. Uh, I, I, I know that they, uh, have been very methodical about it, uh, beyond, the steps that they've taken is something that I've really been trying, trying to gather information on and had a hard time doing so. Brunette is still very much in the fold. I mean, that's obvious just because he's there. I don't know if they're, you know, trying to switch things up. I wonder if uh, the reason that you saw changes on the coaching staff, but not necessarily the Brunette, uh, could that be because they want to keep him around regardless, whether it's as a head coach or as an assistant again? Is that, you know, something that they would try to pull off? Just because, like, what did we hear by from every player that we heard from at the end of the season was how much they loved Bruno and how they wanted to have him back. He's been around already for the three years. He's established relationships. He understands what they're trying to do. So whether it's as a head coach or an assistant coach, I'm getting major vibes that they want to keep him around. Uh, Alex, I agree with you. I thought that at this point, after the season ended by now, that we'd have an answer. Um, so now I'm just curious, is it going to happen before the finals end? Is going to happen before we get to the draft in a few weeks. Uh, you know, we're less than a month now from the new league season opening up. You get into free agency. I mean, these are things that you'd like to have squared away when you start making your decisions and making your planning toward next season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the longer it goes, the more surprised I am that we don't have an answer on it. I, I feel like uh, seeing Samuelson and McKenzie uh, away from the Panthers with Brunette staying in, like you're saying, David, that feels to me indicative that they're opening up, opening up the bench to let Bruno bring in his people. Yeah, no. And look at this point, like I, I I've been saying since the beginning that I think Brunette would, he'd be the guy if they're happy with the way that the team has been progressing for the last, you know, I don't want to say three years. Cause I mean, it's really been the last like year, year and a half that we've seen this team start to take steps together, but they've been on this path. Right. And they just had this amazing season. And you can see that they're taking the steps. We're hoping, right, that the playoff lessons are what they're learning at this point. Yeah. That's what, you know, the hope has got to be moving forward. Um, but, but if the management is happy with the path that they've been on, then, yeah, I would imagine you would give Brunette a chance to continue on that path. You know, Bill Zito has yet to choose a head coach. You know, Q was here when Zito was hired. Brunette, you know, that whole situation there, we know how that rolled out. So would Bruno be the guy that Zito would choose? And I imagine that's kind of what he and Caldwell and, and those guys have been spitballing over the last few weeks. But uh, that 
that is um, that is a really interesting point, Jake. Is just that are they clearing it out so Bruno can bring on his own guys? Because you know, and to what I said before, letting you know maybe outside noise affect what he could do or what you know maybe he wasn't comfortable with certain guys around and he wanted to do his thing. So I think that's actually something that I hadn't even thought of to this point. Uh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. David, did you listen to? And I'm, and I'm sorry to do this because. You already said you're not a podcast guy, but th- th- this was pretty pertinent. Elliot Friedman, obviously very plugged in, as plugged in as anybody else, uh, had a hit on the Jeff Merrick show yesterday, uh, gave some really insightful updates on the brunette stuff. Did, did you hear that? I was going to go over some of it. Somebody that heard it typed the words with their fingers onto a computer screen, and I read oh, that. Very nice. Uh, so... If, if you would, would love to get uh, quick comments on like the bullet points that I have written down uh, when I listen to it. Uh, we'll start with number one. It is likely that Bruno's coming back with different assistants. I mean, the assistants got fired. So basically like thoughts on it's likely that Bruno's coming back. Yeah. I mean, again, like I said, that that would make the most sense to me uh, just based on that. He's so well plugged in with both the players. And the systems, uh, you know, he's been a big part of the special teams, which before the, you know, disaster of a playoff, the special teams were actually pretty good last season. Uh, best they had been, I think, under his watch. So, it, you know, as long as they're not a knee-jerky group, which they haven't been to this point, uh, it made sense to me that they'd want to bring Bruno back. And to give him the option to choose his own assistance makes a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, I, I'm curious. I, I'm looking forward we're gonna to We're going to get to that. That's interesting. Well, if, you know, I'm looking forward to asking him, you know, assuming that this all continues down this path, you know, like, what is that? Did you have guys in mind already? Like, you know, is that something that he'd been thinking about maybe during the season? Like, man, if I had so-and-so here on the bench next to me, we could really be kicking on these tires. And, you know, it's, it's interesting just kind of like the, the pathway, the thought pathways that it opens up. But yeah, I mean, it, again, along that path, it it does make perfect sense for me just based on why would they want to switch things up? Mm Mm-hmm. So the next thing, actually, and, and this goes into the assistant coaches, obviously, Ulf Samuelson and Derek McKenzie, it's, it's pretty much out there now that those guys are not coming back. Timo Rutu is coming back. And as uh, Friedman described it, it seems like the politics of that is that Rutu was, above all, Zito's choice. Derek McKenzie was a guy that Brunette really liked. Really, I think that Friedman said that he loved Derek McKenzie and that Ulf Samuelson was Q's guy above all. Uh, does that align with what you've been thinking this whole time? Oh, well, the part on Ulfi, you know, for sure. Like, you know, Q, Ulfi was a, Samuelson was an assistant under Q in Chicago before uh, they teamed up again in Florida. And, you know, he'd been there already. So yeah, that, that made sense. If Bruno is a big fan of Derek McKenzie, um, then if they're letting Bruno choose his own coaching staff, then I don't know why, you know, they would let him go. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, clearly, you know, there's some kind of a mis- disconnect in, in that thought process. But um, the part on Samuelson, yeah, for sure, it would make sense that they're going to let him pick his own guys. And with Alfie going, does that kind of put to bed the notion and the possibility of Q coming back to coach this team? I would think so. I haven't heard any, like, this is something that I've poked around on specifically um, on the team side and on the league side. And I have yet to get any information that the steps have even like that ball has even started to roll. Like I've asked, look, forgetting Panthers, like has there been any contact at all uh, regarding Q, the league, 
on his behalf, any, you know, anything. And I haven't gotten a whisper of anything happening since then. Does that mean it hasn't? No, I'm just based on what I've been poking around and I haven't heard anything there. And, you know, the last we heard about it from the commissioner was when he was here, uh, when he spoke during, you know, game one or game two, whenever it was uh, uh, in the Capitol series, when he said that, you know, when the time comes, he would imagine that it would be coach Quenville would reach out and they'd have a dialogue and go from there. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, uh, that has yet to happen. Mm-hmm. The, the next thing he said was that he's heard Mike Eaves, who is uh, Patrick Eaves' dad, and Patrick Eaves currently a scout for the Panthers. And uh, he was a guy that was the coach of the Monsters, who are the uh, AHL team for Columbus. For so Jackets, yeah. for... I think he, I think he's been there for the past three years. So there was definitely one year of Zito overlap and Friedman mentioned that Zito knows him. Have you heard anything about Mike Eves? Do you have an opinion on Mike Eves? No, honestly, uh, this is the first that his name's really come up. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, the, the Zito connections. I mean, Zito, you know, he, he's got roots that go a lot deeper than I think a lot of people realize just because before he was working as a GM, you know, we, we all know that he was an agent forever, but I, yeah. I think people think about that in terms of like the relationship that he's established long before uh, he got started in Columbus's front office. So, uh, but yeah, I, I wish I had more insight for you on that, but uh, I'm afraid you have, uh, you've caught me with my pants down, sir. I mean, Friedman just came out with this yesterday. We haven't heard anything else from anybody. I mean, really the only thing other than that, that we've heard at all is Friedman threw out Jeff Blashill last week that caught oh, no. zero Blech. traction. Blech. So I really don't think that pass. that's going to happen. I mean, you can, Hard you pass. can tell me, but if you're not going to tell me something along the lines of, yeah, I think Jeff Blashill's in and around this situation for sure. Then we can probably just let sleeping dogs lie on that one. And, and also Friedman was like, I don't know if uh, they're committed, what would happen if some other team came to them and asked to interview Brunette? Any quick thoughts on that? Well, I, I think that would be kind of indicative uh, to what they were thinking. If they were, you know, if they were thinking about keeping them, there's no way that they would be like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go interview elsewhere. Like right. they, they would, I'd imagine, nip that in the bud uh, rather quickly. And the whole Jeff Blaschel thing, I mean, like I, I get it that, you know, he and Zito know each other. And, you know, he's obviously, you know, well-regarded, but it would not align with anything in terms of like, they'd be, it'd be a major shift for the team and the way that they played. Um, and, and probably a lot of, you know, the behind the scenes, just the way that they approach the game. I, I don't know if they want that kind of a dynamic shift that, you know, as I've said already. So it just, when I heard that, I it just kind of like raised my eyebrow a little bit. And, and I also think it's indicative of just how like hard it is to get any kind of information from this front office uh if the only name if they're going on a, you know, any kind of a coaching search due diligence you know, we're only hearing one name and it's jeff blashell when you know the the names that have been out there you know the trots is the maurices and the so on and so forth bruce cassidy uh, got hired by vegas today yeah so it, that, that was like okay that's the only name we're hearing like it just was like yeah there, there's they're just doing really good at not telling us anything yeah so, uh, TJ, you did just help me solve uh, a bit of a mystery. If Patrick Eves is working as a scout for the Panthers, uh, that entirely explains how we were able to land Joe Thornton. Because uh, <laughs> naturally, they both have uh, very notable beards. Yeah. Uh, and I can't imagine any other reason, uh, or a better connection, rather, uh, for Joe Thornton to end up signing with the Florida Panthers. 
so with that kind of in mind, we, we, we can shift a little to some of the roster moves that are uh, not necessarily expected, but there are some, some key players whose contracts are coming up here. Uh, David, we just want to kind of get some of your insight, see what you think their the offseason plan is, uh, who we think they might try to keep, who we think they might try to get rid of. And I think the, the four players that I think we really want to focus on here are Mason Marchment and Claude Giroux on the try to keep them side. And I don't know if this is so much rooted in plausibility or wishful thinking, but Bobrovsky and Hornquist on the try to get rid of side. Uh, so let's let's start on the on the try to keep. And I, I kind of want to start on Mason Marchman because he seems like the most likely uh, that will actually be able to hold on to uh, fan favorite depth scorer, a great story for the Panthers. Selkie trophy vote getter. Uh, Notable Selkie Trophy candidate Mason Marchment. That is correct. Uh, Deserved, not finalist, also. but candidate. Uh, so, David, what have you heard around Marchment? Uh, what are the Panthers trying to do there? What What do you got for us on that front? Yeah, um, I've heard that there's mutual interest on both sides and between Marchment and the Panthers. I think uh, right now it's going to depend on the market that is set because uh, it's really curious with Marchment. Obviously, he had a great season last year. He had what was it? 47 points, I think in 54 games, uh, like 18 goals he had. Um, and before that, I, he'd played like 35 games and he had like two goals. So, you know, how much are you willing to take that little sample size and put it up like, okay, I'm going to give him like, you know, three, three, four, five million over three years. Um, that's going to be the question is our teams willing to throw that kind of money at him based on such a small sample size. And also how much of a hometown discount is he willing to give the Panthers based on what he's hearing on the outside always coming into play is the, the, uh, Florida, um, no, uh, no tax, uh, no state income tax, which is always a nice, uh, you know, perk when you're negotiating with athletes who are going to be making millions of dollars. Um, so definitely mutual interest there, uh, with Mason Marchment. And again, we're just going to have to see, uh, once the market opens up uh, a month from now, uh, what kind of numbers are throwing at him. Um, but I, it would not surprise me to see him bring it back with the Panthers. And then what was the other guy asked about? Uh, Drew, right? Yeah, I wanted to ask about with with the two big trade deadline acquisitions, not to besmirch Robert Haig, who was a, oh a solid God, I forgot Panther. about him. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that in a, in a moment because it's, it's not as big of a deal as any potential Drew or Sherrod extensions. I'll leave this open-ended. Where is the smoke going on either one of those guys? Have you, have you heard like, Oh, they're definitely not getting back one of them or the other one. Have you heard that like they they really want to keep one of them or the other one? What's your take on the whole situation? Yeah, I I haven't heard anything to the negative on either. I haven't heard anything uh, from Sherat uh, whether it's bring him back or let him go. So you know that's kind of a, a question mark to me. But I haven't heard anything you know big on that regard with Claude Giroux. Uh, I know they'd love to have him back. Obviously, who wouldn't? Uh, he affects the game in so many ways, and we saw how how well he fit in. And I, again, I, it's kind of like with Marchment, but you know, just to the nth degree, because Claude Giroux, you know, as a free agent, he's going to get money thrown his way. I mean, sure, he's you know still advanced in age; he's thirty four years old, but this is a guy who can play at nearly a point per game pace. Who's going to win you important faceoffs? He's got intangibles that you look for. So, um, is he willing at this stage of his career to? to give any kind of a discount there. Um, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how much the Panthers can even throw at him. 
you, you did mention Patrick Hornquist's name, who I've heard uh, is somebody that I don't want to say likely to be moved, but there's yeah. definitely been some explorations in that regard. Uh, simply because uh, I mean, well, a you can move him. He does. He has a. He has the. Uh, the it's what's a the partial word? no trade. I believe. Yeah. The, I can never remember what the M stands for. The modified. Modified. Thank you, man. I'm just stumbling, bumbling tonight. But yeah, he's at the modified no Who trade cares? clause. But I mean, look, as, as important as this guy has been off the ice to this team and, and, and kind of shifting the culture, you can't have a guy that's playing, you know, 12 minutes a game on the fourth line, making five over five million when you're as, particularly as cap crunch, cap crunched as they are. Yeah. Um, I'm, but that's one of the big like things that I'm curious to see how it plays out in terms of what happens with Giroux uh, and if they're able to really make a big play to keep him around. Because you guys know when Zito makes those trade deadline moves, he likes to keep those guys around and not waste the draft picks. Right. He kept both of the ben- the Sams, Bennett and Reinhardt, kept Montour around. Uh, so I'm sure he'd like to do the same with Giroux. And just to put a bow on the Patrick Hornquist thing, he has an 18 no trade clause. You'd assume the, uh, the Canadian team, most of the Canadian teams, as well as some of the bottom feeders around the NHL will be on it. Definitely Arizona, but, you know, that yeah, sort but, of thing. But they're going to have the ability to move him and, you know, his game is still in high demand from some of those old school type GMs. I mean, I know Jim Rutherford's in Vancouver and I just said no Canada teams, but, you know, maybe Horn- Hornquist is up for a reunion with his former GM and you can get him to go there. I think there's going to be teams who want Patrick Hornquist this, this offseason and the Panthers will be able to get that done without having to trade. Imagine, too much Hornquist, the team. Like, imagine him going to a team like the Rangers or Carolina. You know, if there's a team, like a young team that could use that kind of grit that can afford to, to take on his cap hit. Yeah. The problem Gerard is I don't Gallant. know if I see a, a true contender being able to take on his freight. Like I, I see those teams that are, are, are trying to compete being like, yeah, we'll give you a, a good asset for Patrick Hornquist 50% retained, which is obviously a non-starter for the Panthers. Maybe a third party is willing to retain the money in a three-team trade. NHL GMs are not creative enough to get that done though. So let's just throw that. I do have an interesting possible start uh, because there, there has been some smoke around the Rangers and that seems like a team that might want a guy like Hornquist and the smoke around the Rangers that I'm talking about right now is uh, Capocaco. Oh, come on, man. I mean, don't don't say Hornquist for Caco. I mean, Gerard (laughs) Gallant, like, but he's not. The I don't know if Kako wants to stay in New York. I know he's an RFA, and this is a conversation we can get into in more depth, like much later when we get closer I to don't July first. But I, I, I could see Kako getting offer sheeted if no one trades. That would for be him. very funny, actually. I would really enjoy that. Uh, but we can talk about that closer to uh, July first, and not take up David's time with Rangers-based uh, <laughs> crap shooting. <laughs> And since we're not taking up David's time, let's move on to goalie talk. Sergei Bobrovsky, that's another, well person, done. another person that uh, Elliot Friedman has mentioned the Panthers are trying to move this offseason. Um, David, I'm sure you agree with me that he was excellent to outstanding in the playoffs, but that $10 million cap hit and a team that is in a cap crunch, that's probably one of the first places you look to try and shed salary, right? Especially with a young first-round pick goalie knocking on the door. But and, and the other thing we got to consider here, he sets the this conversation with his no uh, no movement clause. So David, uh, do you think that this could even get done? 
I think that's kind of what they're exploring or what they've been exploring right now is to see if there's, you know, A, if there would be interest on, you know, the lead side, if there anybody would be willing to talk about taking on that kind of a cap hit. And then uh, it's very delicate, as you said, because Bob's got the no trade clause, which could obviously make any, any move a non-starter. It's just hard for me to see any team really being willing to bring, take on that kind of money. Uh, even though Bob just came off, you know, his best season with the Panthers, his best season since his last year in Columbus. Um, and he was great in the playoffs, probably their most consistent guy. There was, you know, I can't really think of any, any time other than those back-to-back games uh, against, I think it was Toronto and New Jersey over the last like two months of the season where you really were like kind of putting your, your head in your hand uh, frustrated with Sergey Bobrovsky. But even with all that, you know, he still isn't playing to a $10 million a year standard. And that's just probably never going to happen at this point. Um, that would be a pretty impressive thing if they could figure out a way to move that contract somehow, because I'm sure you can get the same or very similar quality goaltending, maybe even better for probably three, $4 million less on a much shorter term deal on some of the maybe mid range goaltenders that are out there. And when I say mid range, I mean, in age wise, um, it's just, I, I just don't see it happening. That contract's just an anchor. Like I, it's just hard to see if Zito's, you know, he's the guy, right. We're building a statue already. If anybody can pull it off, it would be Zito, but I would love to see, just like, you know, you go to the magic show. I, I would love to see that, that uh, magic trick pulled off. It's funny. The, the little profile that you lay out for the kind of goalie that the Panthers maybe would look to bring in uh, if they are able to trade Bob because a guy making about three to $4 million less who's mid range in terms of age uh, and also has an exceptional history of being better than Sergei Bobrovsky has apparently informed his team that he might be open to a trade. Uh, and I am referring to John Gibson uh, of the Anaheim ducks. Uh, is, is that the kind of, is that the kind of guy you're talking about, David, or did you just randomly lay out a profile of some of a, of, a theoretical player that just happens to nearly exactly match John Gibson. Well, he fits the mold. I'm just th- talking, you know, late twenties, early thirties, short-term deal kind of guys that have proven to be, you know, consistent, solid. I mean, John Gibson, I mean, this guy, uh, he's still, I, th- I think he's he wasn't like 28, 29. He's still like pretty young. Yeah. I John think he's Gibson 29. Turning is turning 29 soon. next month. Oh, never mind. Has uh, one, two, three, four, five, six years left at six and a half million dollars. Which is uh, honestly kind of an overpay given the way he's played recently. I yeah, think that, it would be, a, I think it would look a hell of a lot better uh, if he played behind a good team which he hasn't for quite a while. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Anaheim, even when they were good last year, it wasn't really their defense that was carrying them. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Just because I feel like Gibson, as good as he's been career-wise, I think the last maybe season or two, he's not been trending in the right direction to take on that kind of term. Uh, That would be rough. That would be rough. I mean, you know, for Bob, you know, he's at least trending upward right now for his credit. Um, and I've always been a huge fan of Gibson. You know, I love my goalies. I love particularly my American goalies. So, uh, you know, I've always been a fan of John Gibson, but yeah, being that I'm a fan of his and follower of his work, I've noticed that he's struggled a bit the last couple of seasons. So that would cause, I'd be thinking more of like, in terms of some of these European goalies that came to the NHL late that are a little bit advanced in age, you think of like a Ville Husso or, uh, what's his name in in nashville obviously he's he's um 
Uh, he's all locked up right now, but back when uh, Pecorine was still oh, here. Oh, you say Soros, sorry. Yeah, when Soros, you know, a couple of years ago when Soros could have been plucked out of Nashville, obviously now he's not. But um, it's those like caliber guys who I'm looking at that have been backups that need, you know, maybe need that option. Uh, there's just so many gold goaltending out there. And I really want to dive into the list sometime soon. Uh, I keep saying that I've been meaning to do that, but uh, I just, if they had the flexibility, like if they had an opening and some money to spend, I would love to see what Zito would do and what kind of goaltending pool he would dive into. Uh, that's one thing that we haven't seen from this, uh, from this regime. They've been so locked into their goaltending from, from the start with, uh, with Bob and Knight uh, that, you know, all we've seen them do is, you know, they draft, they found uh, Devin Levi and they were able to flip him. So it's curious, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's, it's all about freeing the net up for Spencer Knight and having $10 yeah. million to Bobrovsky, who will probably still be playing at a pretty decent level the next few years. I mean, knock on wood, obviously, but nothing he showed us this year suggests that imminent regression is coming. And uh, Spencer Knight, but at the same token, Nothing has suggested to us that Spencer Knight is not living up to the hype. Like he's done everything that you would ask him to do at this age. Uh, yeah, for sure. And I think that that's kind of an important thing uh, that they don't rush him along any more than they have to. Uh, you don't want to have a, a situation like what you saw in Philadelphia, where you put too much on a young goaltender's shoulders, and then you really have to bring them back physically and mentally. Yeah. Um, and, and to Spencer Knight's credit, I mean, this guy, as good as he as he is at stopping hockey pucks, he does not really act like your traditional goalie. He he's, you know, and I say this with all the love in the world, he's kind of a weirdo from a goalie perspective, just because he's so normal. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I was like, wait a second, goalie, you, you calling him a weirdo. We're all weird. And then no, no, he's not. Now, That's no, no. You, you had me in the first half on that one, David. I'm like, where are you going with this? We're all weird. And then you caught me with I, why he's, I weird. think he's kind of weird. But that no, might just be because he's Russian. No, from Spencer Knight. Oh, Spencer Knight. Yeah. I have no idea why I thought we were talking about Bob. My bad. <laughs> My bad. Oh, yeah. Bob is total total normie. No, um, <laughs> God, I love TJ. Just drops me off the rails. I love it. No, that's the thing about Spencer Knight is that he's just so like mature, and he's just got so he's so level headed. He's got a good head on his shoulders. You know he. I remember when we were um, when he got his first shutout uh, on that road trip in Anaheim and he had started all the games when Bob was kind of hurt and sick and whatever was going on with him. And he was like, dude, you just got your first shutout. How awesome is that? And he's like, yeah, you know, we, we won. That's, you know, like, no, you don't care. You got a, your first shutout, you, you know, on the road. It's yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just, gonna, I'm drinking my gross green drink here and you know, I want to get to the next game and he's just so mellow and he's just so chill. And I think that's great. Because regardless of what kind of pressure might be on him, uh, it just doesn't appear that it, anything affects him. Like he's just understands, I'm going to go to work every day. I'm going to try to improve. Uh, and, you know, I mean, he's got this great, uh, this great guy in Sergei Bobrovsky in terms of setting an example, uh, work, you know, work ethic and all that. I mean, Bob's great and Bob's a super nice guy. So it's, it's a good tandem to have in that regard. But I'm with you, uh, Jake, and just in terms of, you don't want to rush Spencer Knight at all. I think next year you don't want him to start more than 30 or 35 games. Uh, I think you want to just kind of let him work his way up. And look, if he becomes that guy and he comes out next year and every time you put him out there, he's having this amazing effort and he's looking like, you know, an, a young Igor Shesterkin or, uh, you know, when these young guys start taking over, uh, by all means, 
go do your thing, kid. But I think uh, it would also behoove the Panthers to keep him limited only because uh, next year is the last year of his ELC. And uh, you want that bridge deal to be somewhat reasonable as you get into a bit of a cap crunch over the next few years. You don't want him to, to go out there and be this 21-year-old Vezina kid and all of a sudden you've got to pay him, you know, maybe five, six million bucks over the next few years instead of maybe a more reasonable three or four million. So uh, that, you know, something to keep in mind as well. I will not send this podcast to Spencer Knight's agent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's actually a really interesting thing. And I want to move off of Spencer and ask you one last question. But, you know, do you wait one more year to give him the reins? Because, you know, if three years as a backup, he's not going to be able to command as much as if he was, you know, given the reins as the number one and take and put up a, you know, a monster season that, because we all, I think we all agree the sky's the limit for Spencer Knight. So if he puts up a monster season, you're going to be paying him five million plus. Where if he plays another season as the backup, you can probably limit it to two to three million AAV at, at some kind of bridge deal. Um, moving on from that, the one person we haven't talked about yet, while his contract isn't up, he is up for an extension this offseason, and that's Jonathan Huberto. Are you hearing anything that the Panthers are going to try and get that locked up anytime soon? July 13th is when he can officially sign a, a new deal. Is that something the Panthers are working on, or is that something you think is going to play out throughout the year? I think that uh, there's going to be back and forth discussions that are going to be had this summer. Um, I know, you know, as we've known, uh, that there's obvious interest on both sides. I mean, I asked Jonathan Huberto about it uh, more than once last season, uh, uh, just about his desire to play with the Panthers, to extend with the Panthers. And he said multiple times that he wants to finish his career here. He wants to follow in Barkov's footsteps and sign a deer, you know, like a long-term deal and, you know, continue on what they've been building here for a while. You know, like what we said before, the whole no income tax thing helps a lot in, in the negotiations. Um, you would think that he's going to at least, at least get what Barkov got because Barkov would he get eight years, uh, 10 million a year, which uh, I think is a bargain. I think Barkov would have gotten way more on the open market. And I think Huberto would get way more on the open market than, what he would probably sign for with the Panthers. Will it get done this off season? Uh, I, I would say as I shake my uh, magic eight ball that signs point to yes. Uh, I think that they're close enough that, you know, Huberto's representatives of what the Panthers know, what they're looking for. And uh, we'll see if they can kind of find their middle ground, which, you know, credit to Zito. It's one thing that he was known for, for uh, when he was in Columbus was he was their negotiator. He was their guy. He was known as a stern negotiator. So uh, I would expect that uh, there'll be some back and forth, but uh, just like we saw with Barkov, you know, and he was in Finland while the negotiations were going on, they got it done. uh, You know, once he came back to the States, they got it done pretty quickly last year. Huberto's up in Montreal for the summer where he likes, you know, was up in Quebec where he likes to spend his summers, but I would be really surprised if when the season starts next year, uh, that that it wouldn't be done already. I I don't think he's going to be holding out looking at that team there in Quebec and being like, I actually want to join up with them because uh, not going so well right now as an under, as an understatement, honestly. No, no, he's happy down here. I mean, he's been coming down here his whole life, you know, before, True. before he was ever a Panther, him and his family, they were loading up in the RV and driving down here every uh, Christmas break. So, you know, this is, it's home to him, you know, just like Aaron Ekblad, just like all these guys have been down here, like this is their home now. So I, I would be really surprised if they don't get something worked out. Is there anything that you can or, you know, you have a feeling about with any of the like kind of minor UFAs uh, apologies for, you know, besmirching Joe Thornton 
Pateri Lindbaum, Noel Achari. Am I forgetting anybody? Uh, Mammon is UFA. Mammon, that's right. I think yeah. Mammon's got another year, I thought. No, oh, no, no. no Mammon's UFA. Um, let's see. Now, Carlson and Lusterreiner are both RFA. Um, oh, and I would not be surprised to see them both get qualified. I mean, obviously, Lusterreiner and I'd be shocked if he doesn't get kept around. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'd be shocked with both. Honestly, I thought Carlson had a real strong year. Yeah, no, I mean, really, I think um, I, I don't so much think about the guys that are that are UFA. I don't want to say leaving, uh, but that are UFA just because you think of what Zito has done with the flexibility he's had during his tenure here, bringing in the Carter Verhages, bringing in the Duclairs, bring you know finding. Uh, Gus Forsling off the waiver wire. Like when they have some room and some flexibility to move, you wonder like, what can they do? What, how can they maximize that value? And, you know, you would think they could probably do find a little bit more flexibility than, you know, Noah Chari, perhaps, uh, you know, Robert Hag, you didn't really see a lot of him. I, I you know, I don't know. Um, there hasn't been any whispers about, you know, the lower guys that I've heard about or that I've asked about, and I've asked about Shachari, I've asked about Mammon. Uh, obviously, we talked about um, Mason Marchment. But I, I'm, I'd be more curious to see what Zito would do with the flexibility that he has just because he's kind of hit it out of the park yeah. with, the, you know, like Ryan Lombard, another one, um, with some of these guys that he's brought in on the cheap that have really been able to get maximized value out of. Real quick, David, because I know we got to get you out of here. Last year, we saw the Panthers make a big swing with the Sam Reinhardt acquisition. Obviously, they don't really have the draft and prospect ammo that they used to to make a big move. But for the people who always want to see the Panthers make a big move, is that something that's in the cards, in your opinion, this year? Or is this going to be a offseason where, you know, the Panthers will have to shed the salary where they can just to keep the guys they have? And that's that's about what we see. And then, you know, some depth cheap signings. I, I don't know if I would expect it. Um, but I also would not necessarily count anything out. I, I like, just like last year at the trade deadline, you know, kind of going into it, it was like, well, you know, you hear they might be looking for a defenseman. Uh, and, and then they go out and they pick up one of the big D they pick up the biggest forward on the market. Um, I, I wouldn't put anything past Dilzito at this point. I, I know that they're pretty well set. They've built a really sturdy roster to this point. Um, but yeah, I, I think, <laughs> I wouldn't count anything out with Bill Zito and his guys at this point. And they'll always tell you like, look, we're going to explore everything that's going to make this team better. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe I, I think the big move, in my opinion, if they're going to do anything, if they can, you know, re up with Claude Giroux, I think that would be a pretty huge move. Um, but who knows? All right. So David, we've come to the end of the episode of Panther Paris. We want to thank you very much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk Panthers hockey with us. I know you like that part, but, <laughs> not always easy to find some time uh, so we do appreciate that i want to give you the floor to talk about anything that you want to talk about but uh, i would i would love it if you would give us maybe somewhere to rate us five stars that's not a podcast platform that doesn't make sense what's what your favorite public sub is or just whatever else <laughs> like you would love to talk about for like a minute okay let's see my favorite pub sub would probably just be a loaded ham and cheese with some mm. of the uh, the fancy mustard. Um, I'm I'm a traditionalist there. Alex is shaking his head for the Chicken people listening. Chicken tender sub. 
chicken, chicken tender, tender sub is overrated. I will stake the ground on that one. I'm kind of a chicken tender snob, so I'm just you know the public's chicken tenders. They're fine, but they're not like amazing chicken tenders. Thank you, you know? David. I, oh, look, I'm not trying to piss anybody off, but um, I am. It's totally know, a one in room <laughs> thing. I think I will say French fries. The best French fries, in my opinion, come from Checkers. Oh. With- with a Ooh. with an honorable mention to Miami subs, I'm a sucker for the Cajun fries. Someone has never been to Locale in Coconut Grove. That doesn't count. We're talking fast food. Here. Okay. Yeah, like a chain. Uh, what else? A hot dog is not a sandwich. <laughs> Agreed. Um, oh, uh, David, is a, is it s'mores if you <laughs> use a hot dog bun instead of graham crackers? No. Thank yes, you. it is. <laughs> No, it's not. It's something yes, it else. Is. You, you need to read a s'more. If you toast the hot dog bun, it is still s'mores. No, you've made a grant. You've made a. I don't even know because it's not a sandwich either. You've made some kind of weird. You need to name your funky concoction. It's a s'more. No, David, I don't know the name. It's the already s'more got a is name. a specific, specific thing with specific ingredients made a specific way. You've got graham crackers for your bread. You've got your marshmallow and your chocolate on the inside. You melt it all together. It's a s'more. It's a specific thing, dude. Come on. David, right, you're, you're swapping out the bread element for a different crunchy bread element. How come the hot dog bun, you park on the driveway, but you drive on the parkway? Shut How the come? Up, TJ. <laughs> all right, David, why don't you plug, uh, plug what you're working on? God, I'm not, I'm not working people find on. I, I quit after this conversation. I'm not working on anything ever again. Uh, no uh, right now i'm just kind of prepping for free agency in the draft honestly fellas i'm leaning into the offseason i haven't shaved or gotten a haircut in a while and i'm wondering how long before my wife throws me out over it <laughs> no i mean that's really it man i'm i'm, I'm just churning along in the offseason right now just kind of uh enjoying the downtime as, as brief as it's gonna be well you can come crash on the couch over here when that does happen david dwarf Thank you so much again for taking some time to talk Panthers hockey with us. Coming soon to TJ's couch, David. <laughs> it's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.